Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. One night a man was crying, Allah, Allah. His lips grew sweet with the praising. Until a cynic said, so, I have heard you calling out, but have you ever gotten any response? The man had no answer to that. He quit praying and fell into a confused sleep. He dreamed he saw Kadir, the guide of souls, in a thick green foliage. Why did you stop praising, he asked. Because I've never heard anything back. Kadir, the guide of souls, spoke. This longing you express is the return message. The grief you cry out from draws you toward union. Your pure sadness that wants help is the secret cup. Listen to the moan of a dog for its master. That whining is the connection. There are love dogs no one knows the names of. Give your life to be one of them. That's our friend Rumi, the 13th century Persian Sufi mystic. Give your life to be a love dog. George Thorndike Angel was born in 1823. Perhaps because of a childhood in poverty, he had deep convictions about social change. He was already well known for his 14-year partnership with the anti-slavery activist Samuel E. Sewell when one day in March of 1868, two horses, each carrying two riders over 40 miles of rough road, were raced until they both dropped dead. George Angel was appalled. He penned a letter of protest that appeared in the Boston Daily Advertiser where it caught the attention of Emily Appleton, a prominent Bostonian who deeply loved animals and was already nurturing the first stirrings of an American anti-cruelty movement. Within a month, with MLT Appleton's backing, George Angel incorporated the MSPCA, Massachusetts Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. A mere 12 weeks after the deadly race, he achieved passage of the Commonwealth's first anti-cruelty laws. The next month, the first periodical dedicated to animal welfare was in print to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. And over 200,000 copies were distributed, 25,000 of them by Boston policemen, helping to raise awareness of animal cruelty. One of the great social reform movements was born out of the broken, open heart of one man, one angel, George Angel. Give your life 
to be a love dog. Compassion is a special blend of understanding and sympathy, awakened by the awareness of someone else's pain. More vigorous than empathy, compassion inspires us to end suffering, and it is often the key component in altruism. Closely related to compassion is kindness, literally the recognition that we are all of one kind, all kin to one another. The question that surfaces over and over is whether compassion can be taught. According to studies cited by the Humane Society, there is bad news and good news, but the winner is yes. Compassion can be learned, and animals are great teachers. The bad news is that there is a direct correlation between cruelty to animals and violence toward human beings. In roughly a third of families suffering from domestic violence, at least one child has hurt or killed a pet. Children who commit animal cruelty have usually witnessed or been victims to abuse. Adults who deliberately abuse animals are five times more likely to commit violent crimes against people, four times more likely to commit property crimes, and three times more likely to have been arrested for drug abuse or disorderly conduct than those who don't. The FBI actually uses reports of animal cruelty to assess the potential threat posed by suspected violent criminals. The good news is that intervening in this cycle of violence is very simple. I commend you to the Humane Society's Humane Education, designed for children. It teaches about animals and kindness to all beings. The result is a lessening of violence and an increase in moral character, a sense of responsibility, and empowerment. We can teach our children, give your life to be a love dog or a love pig. After they lost their Oregon farm, Colin and Dead Stolpus packed everything they could into their 40-passenger bus and drove away without looking back. Colin teetered between rage and despair. A litter of pigs had been born just two days earlier. Deb couldn't bear to leave them all behind. A few hours into the ride, Deb took from its hiding place a tiny black and white piglet. Colin was horrified. What were they going to do with a pig? There wasn't much he could do. Deb named her Snort. Soon, Snort was 30 pounds. Deb cut ear holes in Colin's baseball cap for her and painted her hoofs with pink nail polish. She also convinced Colin to fashion a little door at the front of the bus so Snort could let herself out. Colin added a ramp, which he called Snort's Speedway. For four months, the threesome camped, fished, and drifted. On a windy, sub-zero night, they parked in Colin's sister Claudia's driveway in Aurora, Colorado. 
In an effort to warm up the bus, Colin pulled up Snort Speedway and shut the little door, closed the windows, and turned on the propane heater. The humans slept, but Snort did not. She rooted around in her bed. She raced up and down the aisle of the bus, and finally she oinked so loudly that Deb got up to let her out. Out on the lawn, Snort calmed down, though all she did was wander around aimlessly. Puzzled, Deb picked her up, brought her back inside, and went back to bed. Immediately, Snort was agitated again. She heaved her portly body around, snorting and oinking wildly. Again, Deb took her out, and again, nothing. Back inside, back to bed, and Snort was squealing relentlessly. Deb, out of tricks and very sleepy, shook Colin to wake him. You take her out this time. Only Colin wouldn't wake up. Deb's voice got louder and more insistent. Finally, Colin was able to gasp that he could barely breathe. He thought he was having a heart attack. Meanwhile, Snort was going crazy. Deb led herself into her sister-in-law's house, but when she tried to dial 911, she couldn't feel her fingers. Claudia and Deb got Colin out of the bus and then to the hospital. You know what was wrong. The propane tank was leaking, and carbon monoxide was slowly poisoning the little family. Snort, close to the ground, was least affected, though her exquisite sense of smell, refined as that of her truffle-hunting European relatives, had enabled her to detect the potentially deadly leak. Deb, taking Snort outside, had inhaled just enough fresh air to keep from being as sick as Colin. As Colin recuperated, he thought about how he'd wanted to die when he lost the farm and how grateful he was now to be alive. To be saved by a pig, he thought, was God's idea of a really good joke. <laughs> he decided he would act as if he were alive for a reason. He didn't know the reason yet, but he vowed to stop nursing his anger and trade in his sadness for gratitude. My spiritual companions, this longing you express is the return message. The grief you cry out from draws you toward union. Your pure sadness that wants help is the secret cup. Listen to the moan of a dog for its master. That whining is the connection. There are love dogs no one knows the name of. Give your life to be a love dog.